From the HBA Podcast Studio in New York City, welcome to The Medium Rules. I'm Alan Baldishan. There are some guardrails here. I mean, the real audience for this is not so much the senators, but the public. Of course, weave into the conversation a bird's eye view of the manner and extent to which the media coverage of the proceedings will likely have as much to do with outcomes as any evidence or arguments presented. I think what's going to be interesting as this rolls out is to pay attention to the shifting dynamics and the shifting interest of all of the players and factions in this process. You have the Democrats, you have the Republicans, you have the individual members of of the Senate who have their own political futures to uh, uh, keep in mind about if this is an impeachable offense, nothing is. And here we are, and, you know, the so-called trial is really, you know, in, in doubt. But that's what we're, that's where we are. Well, I mean, just going to the point of the integrity of the jurors that Mike was making, in any other trial proceeding, a potential juror who publicly states that he or she is coordinating with the defendant or has made up his or her mind and doesn't need to see evidence would be out of there. Well, in the first case, probably committing a crime, Um, (laughs) you know, but certainly in the second case would be dismissed. Right. Completely disqualified. Today, I'm joined in the HBA podcast studio by two members of HBA's litigation group, Adam Michaels and Mike Norton, to help us make sense of the upcoming impeachment trial of President Donald J. Trump in the U.S. Senate. This being the medium rules will, of course, weave into the conversation a bird's eye view of the manner and extent to which the media coverage of the proceedings will likely have as much to do with outcomes as any evidence or arguments presented. So first off, about my HBA colleagues briefly, Adam Michaels, who heads up HBA's Complex Commercial Litigation Group, is a graduate of Georgetown Law and has 20 plus years of practice under his belt. Prior to joining HBA, Adam was at Goodwin Proctor and Pepper Hamilton. Mike Norton, who has been practicing commercial litigation with HBA since 2006 and has been litigating since the 80s, is a graduate of Columbia Law and a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, where he worked for a time under Rudy Giuliani. Prior to joining HBA, Mike was with Sherman and Sterling and King and Spaulding. Um, So welcome, guys. This is uh, slightly different, uh, very newsy, very topical, but couldn't resist uh, the temptation to talk about impeachment and have you guys on um, and really get your take um, as trial lawyers uh, in terms of what we gonna what 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 we can expect to see. So let's start by sort of setting the tone. If I had to ask you guys, what is the one dynamic, one lens? through which you think, if you had to pick one, through which you're keeping an eye on this trial that's about to get underway. And as we tape this, the articles have been brought to the Senate uh, or are being brought to the Senate this morning, um, and the ball is rolling. So, Adam, let me start with you. What's, sure. the, what's, what's the one dynamic you're keeping your eye on? You know, I think what's going to be interesting as this rolls out is to pay attention to the shifting dynamics and the shifting interest of all of the players and factions in this process. You have the Democrats, you have the Republicans, you have the individual members of, of the Senate who have their own political futures to uh, uh, keep in mind, and you have 2020 looming in the background 
right, and uh, competing for the attention of the viewers. In many respects, this is a television event, and this is going to be the largest television event of this television president's presidency. Um, that's what I am paying attention to. Okay, okay. Um, do you think that there is any, it's speaking of interests, that there's any criminal legal jeopardy at stake here in what we're about to see in the Senate? Um, or do you think that's sort of a separate matter that's off to the side? Well, I mean, there are various prosecutions that are ongoing and involve players that are involved in the Ukraine scenario, right? Um, however, the Senate does not have power over prosecutions. It doesn't have power to grant immunity. So while these things are nibbling around on the edges, I think that they will remain on the edges. Certainly there is a potential for criminal prosecution once this all shakes out, but I think that right now the focus is going to be on the president. Whether any of that activity is criminal, well, that, you know, is to be decided, and in the event that there is a conviction, uh, whether it is politically expedient to grant immunity or to pursue criminal prosecution, I mean that's a question for another time. Okay, Mike, what what's what's what, what's what's your dynamic? What's your sort of high level? Here's what I'm looking out for. I think, the, from my point of view, the the most uh, significant thing is going to be the extent to which it's really a, a real trial. In other words, a real fact-finding um, tribunal uh, to the extent that um, the evidence is presented and comes in and is uh, debated and uh, uh, considered by the Senate um, as a fact-finding, for the purpose of actual fact-finding. Um, you know, and associated with that, of course, is um, whether there will be uh, new witnesses uh, who haven't testified in the House hearings, uh, most particularly John Bolton, who's indicated he wants to testify and who, of course, had firsthand daily, probably almost daily, contact with the president on this subject and who certainly would be a firsthand witness as to what the president's in true intentions were and uh, motivations were and um, how he affected uh, what happened uh, in the Ukraine uh, by his by his agents. So that that will be uh, that's going to be one of the things I think is going to be pretty critical as to you know what kind of event this actually turns out to be. Um, and then the second thing that I'm kind of focusing on is what the defense is going to be, what kind of defense is going to be put on by the president's legal counsel? Are they going to present purely a legal defense? Are they going to argue that whatever happened uh, doesn't amount to impeachable conduct? Um, you know, the articles of impeachment have brought this um, as a uh, high crimes and misdemeanor uh, claim. And so there's a good deal of debate about what constitutes high crimes and misdemeanors. So I would imagine one of the defenses is going to be that uh, whatever happened here doesn't amount to a high crime or misdemeanor, that the president has a good deal of discretion in the area of uh, foreign affairs, foreign relations, 
and uh, that uh, this simply fell within that category. Uh, to the extent there's a factual defense put on, that will be interesting to see. Uh, you know, the impeachment has to be related to the president's personal conduct. It can't really just be based on what his uh, agents or employees or em, you know emissaries appointees, sure. appointees do. It has to be what what he did. And I would imagine another likely defense we're going to hear is that uh, the president was unaware of a lot of things that were actually happening on the ground in the Ukraine. I, I think he's going to try to distance himself from all of that. And so that would be another anticipated uh, defense that I'd expect to say I'm looking for. Okay. Um, all of those are interesting. Let me focus on this con- the, the, the comment you made about the, what will this be, what kind of trial will this be? And I guess the, the question is, or I, or I guess a question from your perspective, maybe, you know, are we going to get into the story of what actually happened, the actual course of events versus all kinds of talk about process and so on and so forth, which I think if that happens, benefits the prosecution. In other words, if we get into a discussion of about who said what to whom, where, and why, that's helpful for the Democrats. Sure seems that way. Yeah. Right? I mean, from what we know, what has come out in the House hearings, um, there is a robust factual record that supports the allegations in the articles of impeachment. We haven't heard much from the president other than what Mike was alluding to before, that even if true, that does not amount to a high crime or misdemeanor. And a lot of, I suppose, conspiracy theory type stuff about Hunter Biden and CrowdStrike and whether this was a uh, legitimate, uh, robust effort to clamp down on corruption in Ukraine. So now Trump's come out and said, apropos, that he supports a rapid, quick dismissal getting rid of this case. So clearly he is worried about this going into a true trial, witnesses, evidence, and so on. So he seems to be focused on that as well. Right. Uh, You know, I think that um, getting back to your point, Alan, I mean, I I think the more it gets into the facts and uh, uh, and it becomes an actually a disputed fact-finding uh, event or trial, um, the more danger, dangerous it gets for the president because then it becomes, uh, in a way, sort of the public then starts to get interested in it, perhaps, uh, more than they are already uh, because it becomes sort of like a whodunit, maybe, or a mystery, um, or like a television, you know, uh, trial drama, uh, which you know people do like, like, and are yeah. enter- are entertained by, okay. and particularly if there you know are new witnesses who had direct contact with uh, with the president, uh, and new facts come out, then it then it becomes I think difficult for the defense in in the case to try to simply not engage on the facts, but to talk about, you know, the whistleblower and how this got started and, uh, 
the process in the House and all of that, which is... And tie it back to Russia and the hoax back, and the... Right. I mean, all of that just becomes sort of beside the point if the public becomes interested in really trying to understand what happened here. And it's a really complex set of facts and a sort of colorful group of characters involved in this. Uh, and I could see the public starting to get interested in, you know, really understanding what happened. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think from my perspective, um, maybe not surprisingly, what I'm, what I'm very interested to see is how this will be covered and who will sort of have the best TV moments here. Because I think ultimately, we probably all agree that the chances of a conviction, which would take 67 senators to vote in favor of, are pretty low. I think that's a fairly well-settled consensus at this point. Events can change. I mean, as we know, the Nixon sort of presidency kind of collapsed overnight after the release of the missing tape, um, but um, which was forced by the Supreme Court. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm focused on how this will play on TV. Will there be the kind of Marie Ivanovich uh, moments which are so galvanizing or Fiona Hill or, you know, Sondland basically admitting a quid pro quo saying everyone knew about it, you know, when, uh, are we going to get that? And if we do, uh, I think I, I, I would agree that it's going to be difficult for the president. I think it's going to be difficult because I think, as you say, Mike, people will really start paying attention and they'll want more and they'll want more witnesses. And this will start to, to build potentially. So I'm very interested now. You know, I think interestingly on just staying on the media, it's not clear uh, and, and to anyone, I don't think even, in, in, you know, we've spoken to a few people in media. Um, it's not clear what's going to be broadcast. You know, even if there are witnesses, it's not clear they're going to testify in public, um, on TV, uh, live, or, or how that's going to work. So there's a lot of jump balls here. So I think that's a real battleground. Yeah, I mean, certainly the cast of characters that we've seen before, the Marie Ivanoviches, the Vinmans, the Taylors, um, and the Fiona Hills, we're not going to see them again, right? I mean, I agree with Mike that people love a mystery, right? You turn on the television, and it's a police procedural, or it's a medical drama where you're trying to find out. Figure out what happened. Yeah. Figure out what happened, right? I mean, people love that. And it's been my experience um, with trial that as much as people bitch and moan about jury trials and, um, you know, jury duty, once people are impaneled, they take their charge very, very seriously, and they put themselves in the role of an investigator, and they want to get to the bottom of it. And that's always a surprise to me, because, you know, in the United States, people traditionally hate serving on juries, but um, uh, it is a, a, a solemn uh, role that people take on, and they take it seriously, and that's always a surprise. So, yeah, people will sink their teeth into it, but it really depends on if there's something for them to sink their teeth into, right? We're not going to see these people again. If there are new witnesses, they better be adding something new, because I can't imagine that the public is simply going to get as invested in a bunch of senators asking questions to the impeachment managers. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, 
So in light of all these sort of comments and uh, putting your hat on as a, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're running the prosecution. Um, how are you thinking about packaging this case up? What's your theory of the case? How are you boiling this down for the, the court and the jury? You know, really the, uh, you know, the judge and jury, which is the Senate. How, how, how are you, how are you packaging this? What are the, what are the couple of things that you're really focusing on? Well, I mean, it's got to be a simple story, right? Because the more that it um, spreads out, the less attention that people are going to pay. So it needs to be a very direct story that this is a president who, for the purposes of enriching his own political prospect, applied the pressure of the United States government on the head of a foreign um, country. which is involved in a precarious geopolitical position with Russia, right? And it was done at the detriment of the security of the United States. I think that that's it at its most simple, and that's the story that needs to be hammered home. And it can't be too expansive, right? You want to keep the evidence closely hewed to that. When you are focusing on whether there was a uh, holdup of the military funds for Ukraine, that needs to be streamlined um, presentation of evidence. And I think that that's in the can. There might be some you know, additional evidence coming in from the Office of Management and Budget, uh, but it just needs to be very, very uh, straightforward. Mike, you're now defense counsel. How are you thinking about? How are you? You're you're you got the call, Jay Sekulow, Mike Norton. We need you. What are you? Uh, what 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 are you coming to the table with in terms of? Here's what we're going to hammer. Well, I think um, they're going to they're going to want to resist um, having any additional evidence. That's going to be their main focus. They're they're they're. I think the position of the defense has to be that um, the only evidence that should be allowed in the impeachment trial is uh, whatever uh, probative evidence was uh, presented uh, at the the House hearings. And they'll probably also want to try to have uh, a lot of that evidence uh, not admitted on the grounds that it, it's hearsay or there's... Uh, not a basis, a foundation, foundational basis for it. I think they'll, be, they'll try to take a fairly legalistic, uh, evidentiary rule-based approach to try to uh, prevent as much of that evidence com- coming in to the record in the Senate trial as possible. Um, you know, and uh, they'll ha- they'll argue that if there were additional witnesses that. Had, that had relevant evidence, and you know they've been making this argument already. That if there were additional witnesses that had relevant evidence, then they should have been presented uh, before the House. And you can't. It's unfair to the president. It's unfair to the defense to now start try to uh, add additional witnesses or additional evidence that uh, they didn't have a chance to deal with in the in the in the impeachment hearings before the House. So that'll be one. I think the other 
approach is going to be a you know a legal one attacking the articles themselves as as on their face uh, deficient and that they're not uh, the that the allegations there are not sufficient to make out even if true are not sufficient to make out uh, a case of high crimes and misdemeanors by the president. Um, I mean, they've already made the argument regarding the obstructors. So there's two articles of impeachment. The first one is has to do with the abuse of power, the alleged abuse of power by the president regarding the uh, solicitation of the help of the Ukrainian government in the election. Um, the second one has to do with obstruction of Congress. And the obstruction of Congress has been used before in the past in impeachments. It was used in, I think, both uh, Nixon and, uh, and Clinton also. Um, so it's, you know, it has some history, but uh, the obstruction that they're complaining about in, the, in that article has to do with the, you know, defiance of congressional subpoenas and congressional demands for documents. Um, and the counter-argument to that is going to be that the House never took steps to enforce those subpoenas in court and that uh, the president ha- and the executive had the right to have their claims, whatever their claims would be, of executive full of privilege or, or those types of uh, claims that, the, that they shouldn't be uh, they, did, they shouldn't have to respond to these subpoenas. They didn't have an opportunity to have those claims litigated because the House never uh, attempted to have the, those subpoenas enforced. So they'll tr- I think they'll try to get a dismissal at the beginning um, of probably both articles on legal arguments. So it's like a failure to exhaust remedies. Yes, or yeah, failure to exhaust their, uh, their legal remedies. And, uh, you know, this whole rush to judgment type of argument that they're trying to develop. So I expect to hear that. Uh, I think they're going to lose on those. Um, I think that the evidence that that was presented to the House is all going to come in. I don't think the, you know, the federal rules of evidence don't really apply to uh, impeachment trials. Um, and so I think they'll lose on that. But that'll be sort of the beginning skirmishes, I'd expect to say. Okay. Um and on that note, I mean, we've heard a lot about, you know, Speaker Pelosi held up the articles for a month on the basis of demanding fair process, a fair trial. Um, let, let's stay on that for a moment. Um, what do you think that fair process means in this context? In other words, what would, if you are Pelosi, um, or counsel for the Democrat, counsel for the pro- what would satisfy you in terms of process, Adam? What, what, are you, what are you looking for? Is it solely witnesses and documents? Is it what, 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 give us the contours of how you see that playing out? Sure. Um, if you are. And, and, and I apologize. Let me cut in and say before you answer. Do you and do you view that as a legitimate argument or just more partisan warfare? Look, this is called a trial, uh, and there are certain things that we expect in the Anglo-American tradition, 
what does a trial entail? It's a presentation of evidence by both sides. That evidence can take the form of witness testimony, it can take the form of documents, it could take the form of videotape, anything that is being presented to establish the existence or the non-existence of a fact, right? And what a trial is, it's the presentation of evidence, it's an application of the evidence. Um, uh, to the charges. Yeah. To the charges and then a determination. Right? The Constitution makes reference to a trial in the Senate, but this is not a trial in any true sense because it can be made up on the fly. The Constitution is very silent as to what this entails. Yes, there are some rules as to how a trial needs to um, proceed, but there's a lot of fluidity here. One of the things that makes this a really interesting and weird proposition is that the senators act as jurors. But in addition to acting as jurors, they're not passive. They are active in the process. They get to uh, present questions to the impeachment managers, and they get to vote on the process. Um, if there is a majority of the jurors that want to have witnesses, then there will be witnesses. If the majority doesn't want to have witnesses, there won't be witnesses. Everyone knows that the Chief Justice is designated in the Constitution as the officer that's going to preside over the trial, but that's it, right? There's no additional guidance from the Constitution, and the Senate has the ability to overrule the Chief Justice. Um, we don't know what— With respect to evidentiary rulings, for example. With respect to any and procedural rulings. rulings, yeah. Correct. So even if the Chief Justice, John Roberts, who is pretty much a straight shooter, says that uh, certain evidence should not come in or should come in because it doesn't satisfy the threshold of reliability that is generally re reflected in the federal rules of evidence, that can be overruled. Um, so what would I expect a fair process to look like? I would expect that there is a process for the evidence that has been gathered thus far to be presented to the jurors, that there is a process for new evidence, in other words, evidence that has, was not available to the House proceedings to be presented to the jurors. And I would think that there is a process for the president to rebut that evidence by calling his own witnesses to the extent that those witnesses have information that is actually relevant to the charges. I mean, if the president doesn't have that right, then, you know, it is a sham. Um, so there is a reciprocity that, that you need to have. But even with these funky procedures, I think that at a 3,000-foot level or 30,000-foot level, it does need to resemble a traditional criminal or civil trial to the best that it can. Mike? Um, if I could just add yeah, to I was that, gonna uh, turn to you. it's what's difficult to, I mean, it's, an, it's a fair analogy to a, a, a trial, in a, court, a courtroom trial in a judicial proceeding, but it's really difficult to sort of take the politics out of this um, because... Um, the, the senators are not only the jurors, but they're also they're also the they're also the judge. Uh, so they're per performing both functions. It's maybe like a bench trial where the the judge acts both as the finder of fact and the you know the, and the arbiter of arbiter of the law. Um, 
the chief justice in the Constitution, uh, all it says, it will preside. Um, now, preside, you know, can be seen to mean rule, rule preside and, and rule over things, um, but um, that's not how it's been in practice. In, in the Clinton impeachment, uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist really did very little, uh, viewed it purely ceremonially, uh, and um, I think had one, they uh, basically made one ruling um, that was not too consequential. So, how? These, which, which was which was to not refer to senators as the jury. That's exactly exactly right. Yeah. I, that was the that, that, was, that a, was the sum total that, of that was his a, input. Some some total of his input. Um, but uh, you know, in a in a jury trial, you have a voir dire of the jury before the trial, where the uh, judge uh, attempts to determine whether any of the jurors have a bias or prejudice. Uh, you know, that's certainly not going to happen here, and it's unrealistic to expect it just by the nature of our politics. Uh, all of the senators have personal stake in the outcome of this thing. So um, that's sort of the background that we're dealing with. Um, and so what is a fair process in the context of what's really a political, <clears throat> a political theater, a political event, you know, you would hope that uh, at least the facts are brought out and dealt with, and the senators will make their arguments about uh, how they view those facts and how they view what an impeachable offense is, uh, and hopefully do it at least in a you know reasonable, reasonable, uh, reasonably honest way. Uh, but I think it's going to be pretty political. You know, and the irony, uh, I guess, well, I'm not a constitutional expert. I don't claim to be. But the Constitution contemplated this not necessarily to be the quote-unquote political event that it's being so sort of offhandedly and glibly really referred to and almost has been accepted. I mean, you know, you talk about winning the framing battle um, and Oh, the Constitution calls it a trial, to Adam's point. You know, um, they, uh, the, the senators all have to swear an oath in writing to, 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 to act impartially. Um, and, and, you know, it, that seems quaint and naive at this point. But, um, you know, we are miles away from that, I think, just realistically, particularly given this current environment, which is also maybe somewhat, uh, ironically, I'm overusing the term, but exactly what the impeachment process would have been set up for. Uh, in theory, certainly from the Democrats' perspective, it would have been set up for foreign interference, a uh, president who views himself as above the law, who ignores Congress, all the things that the Democrats have been saying about if this is an impeachable offense, nothing is. And here we are, and, you know, the so-called trial is really, you know, in, in doubt. But that's what we're, that's where we are. Um, well, I mean, just going to the point of the integrity of the jurors that Mike was making, in any other trial proceeding, a potential juror who publicly states that he or she is coordinating with the defendant or has made up his or her mind and doesn't need to see evidence 
would be out of there. Well, in right? the first case, probably committing a crime. Um, <laughs> you know, but certainly in the second case would be dismissed. Right, completely yeah. disqualified so as a juror. And I would not be surprised if we see some motions to disqualify Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham as jurors. I don't think that those are going to go anywhere. But, but symbolically, sur- yeah. Yeah, those issues are going to be That's raised. interesting. I haven't heard that said. I, want, I wonder if they will try and make those motions just to make a point, which would, again, support the idea that really we're in the world of political theater. But, you know, the—and and I think that fits within our overall theme, which is the Democrats want to make this more like a trial— they want to play this out. They want as much evidence, as many witnesses as they can get, whereas the Republicans want to just frame the whole thing as purely political theater. This is a witch hunt. This is overturn the election. And that's the battle lines. And, right, and but, I think that plays through. Right. But it, here's an interesting point. That can kind of flip because if as it turns or if as we expect – this is not going to result in a conviction. There are not going to be 67 senators voting to convict. It is certainly in the prosecution's interest to portray the process as unfair and predetermined, right? We are presenting evidence. We are honestly presenting this evidence, and yet the jurors are not taking it seriously. They are biased. They are ignoring the evidence. They are trying to present their own sideshow uh, with conspiracy theories, um, you know, that plays well for, you know, the election that yeah. we have in November. Sure. But, to, note, but just, to, just, to, <laughs> just, to, uh, just to keep in mind, though, uh, since it is political in nature, there is a, there is some, there are some guardrails here. I mean, the real audience for this it's not so much the senators, but the public. That's right. Yeah. Right? And to the extent the public starts to feel that um, the process is unfair, it's not being handled properly, uh, to the extent the public starts to turn one way or the other, uh, I mean, certainly in the... The Cl- sands are going to shift. The I sands know. are going to shift. It's hard to tell. I mean, certainly That's in right. the Clinton and, and the Clinton impeachment... Uh, the the public really turned against the the impeachment prosecution, and uh, I don't know if that would happen here. More, it's more possible that the opposite would happen here, depending on how the case gets presented and uh, how persuasive the evidence is, and how much evidence is made available, uh, and you know how heavy-handed some of the senators are in uh, how they try to prevent. Uh, the facts from coming out. The pu- public opinion, the politicians are obviously are obviously swayed by public opinion, and to the ex- and to the extent the public gets interested in this and wants to know more and feels that the process is somehow not, you know, uh, fair, then things could really start to shift. I don't expect that to happen, but. It's certainly not out of the question. Yeah, I mean, keep your eye on Fox News. I mean, if they start to shade, that's an indication. Maybe not a canary in the coal mine, but that things are not going well for the president. And and, and it's interesting that you bring up, you know, the Clinton, what happened with, with Clinton, because he went into the process as a much more popular president than Trump is going in. I mean, you know, Trump has his base, um, but, you know, that's 40 percent. If the numbers on the Republican side start to move, which we were seeing 
start to happen during the impeachment trial in the House, sorry, the impeachment proceedings in the House when they were developing the articles, that's, I think that's, that's, that's when sands will shift. And, 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 I, and I think you guys are right. I think that to the extent that, that we get into the facts and, and people's interests are going to start, you know, changing, uh, calculations changing. But um, coming back to, coming back to witnesses, um, let me ask you a procedural question first. You know, if you were in a criminal trial, federal criminal trial, could you bring witnesses to the trial? Could you examine witnesses? Could you call and subpoena witnesses that are new? What, 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 is, what, is the, what, is the, what, what are the ground rules there generally? And then I, I want to sort of talk a little bit about what are the risks and rewards here with respect to these so-called the, the, these four witnesses. That no, are being you, you definitely can as a prosecutor. Uh, you may have some discovery obligations uh, related to it, but uh, you have surprise witnesses in criminal trials all the time. So uh, the rules of uh, criminal federal rules don't prevent that uh, from, okay. from happening. Uh, but, you know, here the federal rules of criminal procedure don't apply to the Senate impeachment, nor do the federal rules of evidence. Um, and so you have the chief justice there who will, I guess, to the extent he wants to assert himself, uh, be ruling on that, those kinds of procedural questions. Uh, but as Adam points out, he can be overruled by the Senate as a whole if they, if they, if they so choose. Um, but uh, okay. I, think the I think the difference here, though, is that um, there is an argument that president has that uh, it would be unfair to him uh, for after having gone through a, an entire impeachment investigation in the House where he did have his defenders cross-examining uh, the witnesses, uh, and actually I think they had counsel too, to now be put in a position at the actual trial to be confronted with new witnesses and new evidence. I mean, that's not a frivolous argument. And uh, how that turns out, you know, I think it's going to be pretty important. Okay. I think that that, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that that would be a much stronger argument if the rationale for not having that evidence in the earlier proceeding, um, you know, if that was not the result of activity of the president, right, right and the obstruction conduct. That's the battleground. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit about Bolton. Um now that we're talking about witnesses. Um putting aside what, you know, what we think about Bolton and and what he may say, which I'm interested to get your view, if you are prosecuting the case, you're calling somebody that you haven't had a chance, you don't you have no idea what they're going to say. How are you approaching that, Adam? Give me a sense of of of, of the, the the risk reward there. Um, I mean, he could he could get get up there and blow blow up your case. No, he didn't say that. Uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, you have access to all of his acolytes, 
right? So Fiona Hill has spent a lot of time with John Bolton. Other witnesses have spent a lot of time with John Bolton. So you could get a pretty good sense of what went down with John Bolton. And he has signaled that he is willing to testify, and he has made statements prior to that indicating that he has information that bears on this. So I think that while as an attorney you never want to, well, you try not to put yourself in a situation where you don't know what the witness is going to say, at least in front of a jury, uh, you can be reasonably confident with John Bolton. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? I mean, he is a wild card. He has his own agenda, right? And it not, may not be a nefarious agenda. It likely isn't a nefarious agenda, but he has his own reputation to be concerned with. And I would think that, you know, John Bolton, more so than other people, um, is concerned about what his Wikipedia page looks like uh, post-Trump, right? He has had a long and storied career as uh, involved in foreign policy, and that's going to continue. He's not that old of a guy. Um, again, you know, from a trial lawyer's perspective, uh, Mike, how do you deal with witnesses that you call as the prosecution, whether it be Bolton, Mulvaney, and they start to go sideways on you? Do you, do you, do you, 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 you sort of request the ability to treat the witnesses hostile? How do you think that goes down? Well, I think, I, you know, I think there's a big question as to whether the the prosecution, in, in the case the House managers, would want to call Bolton as a witness for that very reason, um, or certainly someone like Mulvaney. Um, Duffy is the other guy. Right. I mean, these are close associates of the president, although Bolton, you know, maybe is on the outs to some extent, but no way to know for sure. They're certainly Republicans. They're definitely Republicans, and and as Adam says, have their own agendas that may be not known to us. Uh, So, I mean, I think if you're, I think the House must feel that the evidence that they have already gathered is sufficient. Uh, you know, and as I think an argument can be made that it appears to be a prima facie case uh, to prove what they're attempting to prove in these articles. Um, so I think maybe you don't take the risk of, of calling of calling them. Now, you know, the, the, the thing that can happen is the senators themselves have a lot of discretion in how they want to conduct their impeachment trial. And they may want to hear from Bolton. And if Bolton is uh, willing to come in and give testimony, um, I think they'll want to hear it. And honestly, if I were a senator and were not a partisan in this, although maybe there aren't that many senators who aren't partisan in this, I'd want to hear from Bolton if he want if he volunteered. If I really wanted to get firsthand uh, evidence concerning the president's conduct. Why wouldn't I want to hear from Bolton? So it, it may not be so much what the House managers want or what the defenders of the president want, because they're probably not happy about seeing Bolton come in voluntarily either, either but those few senators who've already indicated um, that they would like to hear from Bolton, I think they'll have their way if they, if they, if they really do. And then 
both sides, the defense and the prosecution, are going to have to live with whatever Poulton says to the extent it, it holds up. Yep. Um, what do you make of, and, 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 and as we're taping, this news just came out uh, about uh, Lev Parnas and what was on his phones and so on and so forth. Um, you know, it seems like we're going to get more evidence coming out over the next few weeks. Um, how do you how do you handle that? Um, how do you bake that into your case without the ability to sort of examine these people without the ability to really kind of it, it, what it, it's almost it's, it's almost becoming a little bit of a you know a free for all how do you harness this uh, one way or the other um, but let's take the Democrats how do you how do you sort of get this in um, well just by way of contrast um, to the Clinton impeachment when that trial started the record was closed Right? And everything that we knew was set forth in the Star Report. And that's not the case here. I mean, we are operating in real time. Uh, today, the House voted to send over the articles of impeachment. And 12 hours earlier, there was a public release of new information that is directly relevant to what was going on on the ground in Ukraine. Um, what Further implicating Giuliani. Further implicating Giuliani, yeah. who is the personal attorney of the president. Uh, further implicating or further involving interactions with Zelensky and really speaking to this pressure to get Zelensky to announce an investigation into Joe Biden. And get rid of Yovanovitch. Right. Now, Adam Schiff has just been named as one of the impeachment managers, and we know that uh, his committee is in close contact with Lev Parnas' attorneys. And this, this cell phone and all of the other evidence was voluntarily uh, provided to the um, Intelligence Committee. So there is coordination, and there is a rollout of of evidence, and I personally think that it's not a coincidence that on the eve of the vote, as we moved into this new act, this new stage of the impeachment drama, that there is an injection of new characters, right? I mean, it's season two of the story, and this is where it gets expanded out, right? And there's going to be a focus on uh, some new events um, that seems to be under the control of the impeachment managers. Mike, your, uh, your, your, your former boss, uh, Giuliani, really seems to be, I mean, not at the center of this. Do you think there's any chance he could be called and testify? He'd love to uh, speak. He'd love to be a witness, I'm sure. Do you think there's any chance he gets called? And, 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 and would he be able to assert attorney-client privilege? I don't think he's going to get called because I don't see how it's in the interest of either the prosecution or defense to have him as a witness. Why not? Because he's a loose cannon, really, in terms of what he might say. And uh, again, it's sort of like the situation with John Bolton. Either side knows for sure what the testimony is going to be. And it's pretty risky to just call him. Uh, 
again, whether the senators want him as a witness is a different question. Um, but getting back just for briefly to the issue that you raised about the uh, cell phone of uh, Parnas, yeah. Parnas um, I mean, that sort of is a, is a real problem, I think, because a, a real problem for the House managers if, who want to try to get it in, because to have it authenticated, the defense hasn't had an opportunity to do any forensics on the phone. Uh, what you know? How does it come in without Parnas's testimony? Parnas is under indictment. He's not perhaps a very credible witness. I just I just see a lot of problems with that. You know, um, the basic case was really laid out in the House hearings, and um, I think if you're a House manager, the safer course, and you're you know you're pushing the, the impeachment. The safer course is to stick with what has been crossed, you know, what's, what has come out through the, the witnesses that they had and the cross-examination of those witnesses and the documents, the extent they had documents. Um, because if it was enough to base an impeachment, impeachment articles on, then maybe it should be enough to get a conviction on, at least in theory, to, to try to bring in... Uh, to sort of pile on. Pile on may not go over well. I don't think, I don't know that. I mean, I think it's, I don't think it's an easy question, but um, I think once there's a sense, because, I mean, one of the things that defense will always do in a criminal, and this is a quasi-criminal type thing, uh, is uh, they're going to say they're going to, they're being treated unfairly. They're being railroaded. Now look at all of this, Evidence, supposed evidence coming out of left field at the last minute that they haven't had an opportunity to cross-examine. They haven't had opportunity to investigate the basis for it, how, you know, uh, it's coming off of somebody's cell phone that's an indicted co-conspirator. Um, so I don't know. I think that that may not get in front of the Senate. Maybe, probably shouldn't. I don't know. But... Uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani, yeah, clearly, uh, and it, by his own admission, is a central actor in this. Um, a president is denied uh, knowing everything that uh, Giuliani was doing. Um, you know, that's going to be a big factual issue. To, I mean, because it really boils down at the end of the day to how much the president knew, this is always the case in these kinds of things, when did the president know and what did he know, that kind of question. He has all sorts of people who are running around in his name uh, doing things. Uh, and to prove his own personal knowledge and motivation, it's not easy. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's never easy in a criminal case and probably not going to be that easy here, although there are people who had definite contact with the president and certainly seems to be strong evidentiary basis to think that this is what he wanted, um, you know, from his own telephone conversation. You can tell that uh, uh, in his own words, he was um, in contact with the president of the Ukraine and was asking for a favor. So there's, it's not like there's nothing there. But what kind of favor and how he wanted it carried out, you know, that's going to be the, the details and the nitty-gritty of this case. That's interesting. I mean, that's really a 
truly a sort of a, a, a trial lawyer perspective, but the atmospherics here in the media yeah. are, are going to be overwhelming. Uh, I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I just want to add to that Parnas point. I mean, certainly when you are preparing for trial, you take a look at a piece of evidence and you evaluate the extent to which that moves the needle. Uh, and then you evaluate that against all of the difficulties that you're going to have, either objections from the other side that may be valid or invalid, but, you know, is it going to be a sideshow, and what are you really getting out of this? And I think the takeaway with Parnas, and we're very early in the stage of this story, is that it adds this component where there is physical threats, allegedly, or surveillance of a United States ambassador. And by the president by or the, under his direction. Right. And that is not something that we have in this case um, of yet. And I think that that does move the needle. And I think that because of the fluidity of the process, all of the issues that Mike identified, right, all of the objections that the Republican senators would have as to the authenticity of the cell phone and all of the... the credibility. Yeah, I mean, th that can be addressed, right? Um, you know, you have trials where a witness comes out of the woodwork, and before that witness's testimony is presented to the finder of fact, there'll be a deposition, and it'll be at night, you know, during, you know, after a trial day. And you'll get a deposition um, the night before the witness goes on. Um, so there is a process to deal with these things, and this seems pretty juicy. I would be surprised if this does not make its way into, into the, trial. the trial somehow. Yeah. Well, it's true. And, I mean, you do have superseding indictments in criminal cases, too. And, you know, you also have, I mean, if it's serious enough, and I'm not disagreeing at all that it sounds pretty bad, um, you do have the Congress can can reconvene their house and, and, and develop a, no, a new article. There's nothing that prevents them from continuing to investigate and developing evidence for, for an additional, a separate article relating to if there are threats uh, to an ambassador um, that the president was involved in in some way. I mean, that sounds like a completely separate new article of impeachment. Uh, that would seem to be a high crime or a misdemeanor because... Uh, while that term's not defined in any way, it, it it's certainly should include any, uh, you know, malfeasance that involves uh, his any uh, U.S. citizen. Any well, not only any any U.S. city, but a but a about an ambassador Sitting, to for, yeah, uh, in his you know in his in his capacity as the uh, chief executive. So yeah, that can be that can be looked at. Um, what, what do you make of, of, of Chief, Chief Justice Roberts here and, and uh, you know, uh, how he's going to approach this and, and, and how he might play a role? Um, you know, obviously Bolton's a big X factor and, and we've talked about some of the wild cards. But, you know, there's Roberts who, you know, is really a, a big institutionalist. We know that. We know he's extremely protective of the integrity of the Supreme Court. Um, he has had his uh, twos and fro's with the president. He's sort of come out, I wouldn't say swinging, but he's made his point that uh, he's not uh, particularly happy with uh, Trump's attacks on the federal judiciary. Um, he, how, how do you think he'll play it, Mike? 
Well, I think I agree. I mean, I think he's an institutionalist. I think his, you know, one of his primary concerns is going to be to uphold the integrity and the equal role of the judiciary and the government. Um, I agree. I mean, I think he's very unhappy with the attacks on the judiciary by the president. I mean, he said there's no such thing as Obama judges or Bush judge or Clinton judge or Trump judge. Yeah. I mean, that kind of uh, that kind of talk does disparage the judiciary and undermine undermines it in the public. And I think that's very concerning to the chief justice. Um, so I think he's going to He's going to want to play a role. I think he's going to probably play a stronger role than Chief Justice Rehnquist did. That's just my expectation. Uh, and I think he's well. I think he's well respected in the Senate, and I think I think that uh, that he'll be listened to. Uh, and you know, all the Constitution says, as Adam points out, is the Chief Justice shall preside. The term "preside" does seem to mean a little bit more than simply sitting there and doing nothing. So I think, you know, he has a he has enough of a mandate under the constitution to be as active as he can get as he can get away with. I don't I think he's not going to try to uh direct the proceedings, but I think he's going to want to try to keep them uh, keep them dignified and keep them honest and uh so I mean I'm hoping he plays a positive role in this. Adam, what's your gut on, on Robert? Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you know, despite what Mike said and despite what Justice Roberts said, he is a Bush judge, right? Uh, and he is well-regarded by Republicans, although he's also fairly well-regarded as a straight shooter by Democrats. Uh, he has been the deciding vote on a couple of cases that have um, gay marriage and the Affordable Care Act, um, and he's well-regarded. And although the Senate has the ability to overrule him, um, whether they actually exercise that right remains to be determined, and there might be some political blowout for, for doing so for challenging this well-regarded, respected man. But it depends on how he sets the stage. And at this point, he's been pretty quiet as to what his role is going to be. What, what, what are the risks for Roberts? Seeming partisan and, and getting attacked by Trump. I mean, so he's attacked by Trump. Add him to the list. What, 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 are, what, what are his risks? Of, of, uh, what, what's at stake for him? Why, 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 what would prevent him from say, making a ruling on relevance if the Republicans try and call Hunter Biden, you know, just just for example, to take sort of the most obvious one. Well, I mean, it's just getting into the muck, right? It is a political process, and he might uh, take the position that he's simply going to call balls and strikes. And a determination of what's relevant is, although certainly something that a judge does in a normal civil or criminal trial, perhaps not appropriate here, given the political background. Um, so there's just a risk that he gets impugned as a, uh, as a partisan. Um, and he might want to simply keep the court um, out of this. What keeps you up, as we think about maybe just kind of wrapping up here, what, 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 keep, what, what keeps you up at night? long term with respect to the constitution here what what is a sort of a worst case scenario you know from your perspective to the country 
I mean, for me, what it is is that we're maybe heading down a road where impeachments become um, a common occurrence, um, where one uh, party gains control of the Congress and immediately sets out to impeach the president of another party, that that becomes a tool a tool or just a political battle that's fought out constantly. Um, Every other presidency or something. Yeah. So it, I think that's dangerous if that is where we're headed. Uh, so that's the, that's the thing that worries me the most. Adam? Uh, my fear is that the process becomes uh, a way to achieve a certain result. And these very serious charges are not fully evaluated. And what we have is just a free-for-all where the uh, public says, you know what, I can't make any sense of this. It's very confusing. A pox on both your houses. I don't care. Yeah. That's my concern. The, 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 the fatigue, yeah. and it just goes away. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my what keeps me up at night, I think, is you know the idea that Trump is able to, to, to sort of whitewash this, that there isn't pro- – I mean, if he's acquitted after, I guess, what, what, what I would evaluate as a fair process, fine. I would be concerned that this does become – this is just so political, and, and because the Republicans control the House, the Senate, and because of the political environment we're in today and the, 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 the approval – uh, ratings of Trump, the numbers for Trump in the Republican Party and Fox News, etc., that this just gets whitewashed, he gets acquitted, life goes on. And what we have is a constitution that, that didn't work, where the, the, the impeachment process, whereby the Senate is, uh, you know, the, the Senate is named as the judge and jury, and it's just so partisan that it doesn't work. And while I share the fear of impeachments becoming, you know, more common, this does seem like a prima facie case to me, and I would like to see it litigated. Uh, Otherwise, I get concerned that there are no guardrails on this president or future presidents, not to mention the immediate concern of 2020 and really what he was trying to do here. Um, assuming you, uh, assuming you accept the facts, so I, I think there is so much at stake here, um, and I want to thank you guys for uh, taking the time to uh, think about this from a litigator's perspective and share your views. Thanks, guys. That's a wrap on this episode of The Medium Rules with Alan Baldishin. For more information, go to our website at www.hballp.podcasts.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.